Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. At one time, Mars looked like something out of a Hollywood movie. Volcanic cathedrals of flame unleashing armies of molten rock that obliterate the surface of the planet. But then, like a bad movie at the box office, it dropped off. The Martian volcanoes are quiet now. There's no evidence of any active lava. So scientists assume volcanic activity ended long ago. We envision Mars like the red-tinged photos we see from the rovers. Cold, still, lifeless. But maybe not. That's next. While you're listening to podcasts, remember to check out the other Quantum Magazine podcast, The Joy of X. Host Stephen Strogatz interviews top-tier scientists and mathematicians. New episodes out now. Also, tell your friends about this podcast and give us a like or follow where you listen. It helps people find the Quantum Magazine podcast. A recent flurry of results from orbiting spacecraft have found that ancient lava flows on Mars aren't so ancient after all. Some of them appear to have erupted from volcanic pits within the last few million years, or perhaps even within the last few tens of thousands of years. NASA's InSight lander has been peeking inside Mars for two years now. It's picked up on some curious seismic signals emanating from one such volcanic site. The results were presented at a conference in December, and they're not definitive, but they suggest that InSight could be hearing the sounds of convulsing magma, the drumbeat of volcanic warfare presumed to have fallen silent eons ago. If future data and analyses establish that magma does exist, that would be a revolutionary reveal. It would be solid evidence in support of a suspicion that scientists have harbored for some time now, that rocky worlds like Mars are alive. Here's Paul Byrne, a planetary scientist at North Carolina State University. It's not dead. These worlds are just dying very slowly. We have almost no certain knowledge about the inside of worlds, including our own. That's a problem. With few exceptions, the thermal evolution of a planet governs everything whether there's an atmosphere, what the atmosphere does, what the chemical exchange pathways are, what the surface looks like, all of it. And it's one story. It's the planet cooling down. It's the only thing that matters. Volcanism is the outward expression of a planet's internal fire. It's a major way for a planet to lose heat while giving the surface a new coat of paint. If we understand how volcanic Mars is, how capable it is of making eruptible magma, we can understand its internal evolution and compare it to Earth's. So if it really is magma that InSight is hearing, then we could come closer to understanding not only Mars, but our own planet as well. Mars is unquestionably a volcanic world. It's covered in impressive magmatic mountains and epic lava flows. In the earlier chapters of its four and a half billion year history, Mars built the largest volcanoes in the solar system. Olympus Mons, the most famous, is enormous. It's almost three times higher than Mount Everest. And if you plopped it on top of New York City, its edges would stretch nearly from Boston to Washington, D.C. 
Olympus Mons is so big, it effectively squashes the crust under its weight. So it's surrounded by a self-made moat that was once filled with lava. If you stood at its base, you wouldn't be able to see the peak because it would sit beyond the horizon. For a long time, researchers presumed that all traces of volcanic activity ended hundreds of millions of years ago, if not billions. Scientists based that assumption on several generalizations about the inner solar system's evolution. Take the five rocky worlds of the inner solar system. Venus and Earth are about the same size. Mars, Mercury, and the Moon are smaller. Tracy Gregg is an expert on planetary volcanology at the University of Buffalo. She says when it comes to what makes planets volcanically active, planets are like books and people. It doesn't matter what's on the surface. What matters is on the inside. Eons ago, these five worlds had two bountiful sources of fire in their hearts. Primordial heat left over from their violent formation, and heat produced by radioactive decay. The heat eventually escaped through radiation and volcanic eruptions. Larger worlds like Earth and Venus remain volcanically active for longer because they take longer to release their internal heat. On average, Earth has 40 known volcanoes erupting at any given moment. We can't see through Venus's thick clouds, but a vast amount of circumstantial evidence suggests it's almost certainly still erupting. Smaller worlds seem to lose their fuel faster. In the four centuries since humans first pointed their telescopes at Mars, no one's seen an eruption. That led to the assumption that it's volcanically dead. But the estimates of when exactly Mars went dark have shifted in recent years. One 2017 study found that lava flows in the cauldron atop Arcea Mons, another gigantic volcano, could have appeared as recently as 50 million years ago, long after the Tyrannosaurus rex died out on Earth. And then there's Cerberus Fosse, named after the terrifying three-headed hound that guards the entrance to Hades in Greek mythology. In 2019, researchers tracked several seismic events, or Mars quakes, back to Cerberus Fosse. It's covered in crevasses, hundreds of miles long, and became the first active fault zone found on Mars. And it's a seriously strange part of the planet. The best way to estimate the age of a planet's surface is to analyze its rocks, using radioactive decay of its elements as a geologic clock. But for now, the only Martian rocks we have on Earth arrived in the form of meteors. And any meteor could have come from anywhere on the surface of Mars, so researchers have to rely on crater counting. If there's no major erosion happening on a planet like Mars, then older surfaces should have more impact craters from asteroid hits. Crater counting can't give scientists an absolute age, but it gives a relative age. But Cerberus Fosse is lacking in the crater department. Tracy Gregg calls it definitely among the youngest surfaces on the planet. Early orbital reconnaissance of Cerberus Fosse suggested that some sort of fluid washed over the area not too long ago in geologic terms. Here's Tracy Gregg again. Even into the early 2000s, there was a lot of argument over what Cerberus Fosse is and Folks would argue vehemently about whether the stuff that came out of it was lava or water. 
And with the advent of the higher resolution imaging, we were able to determine that, in fact, both of those things have come out. And Greg says they came out of Cerberus Fosse at different times. Which is really fun. That suggests you've got hydrothermal activity. That suggests you've got a place where there's water and magma burbling up together, which... Hello, microbes. One of these apparent outpourings of lava is called the Athabasca Vallis flood lava. Christopher Hamilton, a planetary scientist at the University of Arizona, says it erupted less than 20 million years ago. A torrent of lava erupting in just a few weeks would have covered an area bigger than the size of the United Kingdom. A paper Hamilton co-authored for publication in the journal Icarus looked at a smaller volcanic deposit at Cerberus Fosse. This deposit may have resulted from an explosive eruption that blanketed the area in ash. Careful crater counting suggests it could be as old as 1 million years or as youthful as 53,000 years. That's basically yesterday in planetary terms. David Horvath is a researcher at the Planetary Science Institute in Tucson, Arizona, and the paper's lead author. He says the scientific community has long suspected Cerberus Fosse of being a place of young volcanism. Originally, this particular deposit was noted back in like the mid-90s, and kind of serendipitously, our group found it, even in the past, it had been a place noted to land habitable you know, kind of potential or biological potential. Even before this and before Insight, this was the place for the youngest volcanism. And then we're just kind of stacking on evidence to back that up. But the increasingly youthful estimates of its volcanism raise a big question. Is Mars still volcanically active today? In November of 2018, NASA's InSight lander touched down on the Martian plains of Elysium Planitia, about 1,600 kilometers, or about 1,000 miles, from Cerberus Fosse. The spacecraft's payload includes a heat flow instrument, a magnetometer, and a seismometer. That makes it the first fully equipped interplanetary geophysicist it takes the sum of humanity's understanding of how to look at Earth's viscera and applies it to another planet. Seismically speaking, Mars is quieter than Earth, but InSight's seismometer has still picked up seismic rumbles and grumbles. Some are fault-slipping, but many don't yet have clear sources. And at December's annual gathering of the American Geophysical Union... Sharon Kadar, a planetary scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and his colleagues suggested an eye-catching possibility. Some of these low-frequency whispers may be the sounds of magma moving deep below ground. The presentation made no firm statements. They were published last month in the Journal of Geophysical Research. Planetary volcanologist Tracy Gregg says their work is interesting but not definitive. We just don't know. We just don't know. And it's not crazy to think that it could be magma. On Earth, seismologists can pinpoint subterranean rumblings by using multiple seismometers. Just measure the exact arrival times of a seismic wave at three or more locations, and you can triangulate the source, just like scientists do to find earthquake epicenters here on Earth. On Mars, there's only one seismometer. 
Christine Hauser is a global seismologist at the Earth Life Science Institute at the Tokyo Institute of Technology. You don't know until you send a seismometer, and they didn't just send any seismometer. They sent like one of the most sensitive seismometers that's ever been built. Nicholas Schmer, a geoscientist at the University of Maryland, works with Insight. Most of the energy that we've been looking at on Mars for Mars quakes would be impossible to look at on Earth. We couldn't even do it in the cleanest, most quiet place on the planet. There's just absolutely no way we could do it. Even the biggest signals that we've seen from Mars quakes would be below that background noise. I like to call it nano seismology. We're really looking at motions on the sort of scale of an atom, the level of sensitivity of these instruments. Schmer says the seismometer has even picked up the faint thunder of dust devils whirling across the cold desert world. And then there's also just the sort of the creaking and groaning and, and thermal stressing of the spacecraft itself. I mean, we have enough sensitivity, we can actually see like, you know, circuit boards flexing and expanding as they cool and heat through the thermal cycle of the instrument. There are two tricks that InSight's seismometer can use to estimate a seismic wave's source. The first is like estimating the distance to a lightning strike by timing the delayed arrival of the thunderclap. Two components of seismic waves, P and S waves, move at different speeds. The time difference between them allows scientists to work out the distance to the source. In addition, seismic waves are polarized. They have a component that vibrates in the east-west direction, another that vibrates north and south, and a third that moves vertically. InSight measures the relative strength of each component, which can reveal which direction the wave comes from. Kadar's group analyzed five mysterious seismic events. Two of these featured a strong polarization signal that allowed them to be traced to Cerberus fossae with a high degree of confidence. These two appear to be ordinary, run-of-the-mill tectonic quakes. The other three signals were weak, so the researchers could measure only the difference in P and S wave arrival times. That gave the team a distance. Anna Horliston is a seismologist at the University of Bristol. She also works with InSight. She says within this radius, Cerberus Fosse was by far the most likely place capable of producing the rumbles. We've got a vague distance based on vague models. <laughs> yes, two of those distances would fit perfectly. So they could be, technically they could be, but they could also be in the other 359 degrees of that circle. The three signals resemble ones on Earth that are associated with flowing fluids. Researchers tried to model the phenomenon that created those signals, but they found they couldn't rule out one particular fluid, magma, moving through a narrow channel at a depth of 60 kilometers. Tracy Gregg says there's a large field of study on volcano seismicity on Earth. It looks at earthquakes generated by volcanoes and by magma moving through rock. Probably the most well-known one is called a harmonic tremor, and... It's when liquid magma is moving through a conduit. The conduit vibrates just like when you push air through your vocal cords. Vocal cords vibrate and you make a sound. Magma through a conduit makes a sound. So does water through a conduit makes a sound. And just like if you've ever sucked on helium, that sound should be different, whether it's water or magma. But without a baseline measurement, it's hard to know. Planetary scientist Christopher Hamilton says at 60 kilometers down, any fluid would have to be magma, not water. 
But Misha Kreslovsky, a planetary scientist at the University of California, Santa Cruz, says these weak signals don't contain enough information to provide accurate source depths. The signals may also not be what they appear to be. As a seismic wave moves through the ground, its high-frequency components lose energy faster than its low-frequency components. Every time a wave oscillates the ground, energy is lost to friction. That's Jackie Kaplan-Auerbach, a seismologist and volcanologist at Western Washington University. It's not surprising that the events are detecting a low frequency. It just isn't completely clear whether that means the source is low frequency or the resultant path. Perhaps on the trip from Cerberus Fosse to Insight, the high frequencies from ordinary signals became attenuated. That would make the signals look like low-frequency events, which are often associated with moving magma. Even with all of that in mind, scientists are still excited that the existence of magma can't be ruled out. But Kaplan Auerbach says it's cautious optimism. I think one of the cool things about doing seismology with a single seismometer becomes a question of what can you rule out. That's an appropriate path to take, right? You're never going to be able to say, you know, we definitively identify it as this without some other type of data. Volcano seismology suffers in general from, we have a tendency towards arm waviness because we are wondering what we can rule in and out. Low frequency events and tremor are the classic one of this when we're like, it's fluids. And that is also incredibly vague. Planetary scientist Misha Kreslovsky says everything presented so far is perfectly reasonable. Seismologist Anna Horliston isn't convinced we've heard magma moving around, but she says that doesn't mean it isn't there. The seismic signals are pretty enigmatic, apart from those two or three where we're like, look at that, beautiful P wave, beautiful S wave. The rest of them, we're going, okay, right, there's some energy here and there's some energy here. That's probably a P phase, that's probably an S phase. And that's about as far as we can get. So in that sense, you can go, yeah, that could be a tremor event, that could be all sorts of other things. It escaped no one's attention that these rumbles likely emanated from the youngest volcanic part of Mars, which is unlikely to be coincidental. Here's planetary volcanologist Tracy Gregg. It makes sense, right? If they had said it was a different location, I want to look at it carefully. The fact that they said Cerberus was like, oh, okay. There's plenty more work to be done, and researchers need more seismic data to refine this hypothesis. But the data InSight is obtaining is changing what we know about the inside of Mars. Geoscientist Nicholas Schmer says it's helpful. I'm actually able to start answering some of the questions that I've had for decades you know, how this planet works. And, you know, we've always speculated about certain boundary depths and what it could tell us. And you go to the lab and you can make all kinds of experiments, but fundamentally you just don't have the data. They actually start testing some hypotheses and seeing what sticks. That's actually pretty cool. The recent studies of Mars have highlighted the fact that we have a poor picture of what the insides of worlds are like. Here's Greg again. Our primary source of heat at Earth today is potassium, uranium, and thorium. We don't know what the distribution of radioactive elements is in the inner solar system. Greg says the only data set we can go by so far is what we have on Earth. It's the only data set we've got, right? And so when you say, isn't it remarkable that, you know, Mars should be dead because it's tiny? Sure, assuming that it had 
the same or maybe less radioactive elements than Earth did. But who's to say that's true? Mars also doesn't have a fragmented shell like Earth. It lacks moving tectonic plates, which let heat escape into space through the cracks. Perhaps that helps keep Mars' internal embers aglow. Working out the volcanic viability of Mars would be easier if we could take its internal temperature. But InSight's heat flow probe, affectionately dubbed the mole, failed to burrow deep enough to get a proper reading. Still, InSight's seismic data suggests that things are perhaps warm enough to keep Mars volcanically active and kicking, but in a different way from Earth. Even if it exists, the magma beneath Cerberus Fosse may never again erupt onto the surface. Despite the impressive volcanic architecture on Mars, a lot of its magma seems to be injected into the upper crust and simply stuck there, sometimes creating enormous volcanic humps. Surface eruptions are possible, though. Mars may lack the everyday surface eruptions that Earth has, but like Earth, it clearly produces epic lava floods from time to time. Planetary scientist Christopher Hamilton of the University of Arizona points out there are gaps of millions of years between eruptions. I would be shocked if there was not another large surface eruption of lava on Mars within 5 to 10 million years. That just seems to be the cadence that it has at the moment. It stands to reason that if Mars is volcanically active today, its smaller cousins might be too. There's an area of the moon that looks like a bowl of mercury droplets, and this volcanic froth may be just 100 million years old. Mars is half the diameter of Earth, and Tracy Gregg says we can't even say for sure that the moon, which is a quarter of the size of Earth, is dead. Planetary scientist Paul Byrne agrees. I think the moon will erupt again at some point in the future, and I think Mercury will too. But it might be every few million years, and it might be a small patch. These worlds may not be as quiet as we've been conditioned to think. Perhaps the pauses between their eruptions are simply too long for humans to have noticed. That makes our world, with its constant eruptions, a curious outlier. Or, in the words of Tracy Gregg, in every way you think about it, Earth is the weird one. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Ballett. For more on this story, read Robin George Andrews' full article, Rumbles on Mars Raise Hopes of Underground Magma Flows, on our website, quantummagazine.org.